You are listening to the Mombcast, the best weekly comic book podcast recorded in Southampton, England on Thursday nights. In our two hundred, I never said anything, so I'm never allowed to do it. You haven't got a post-credit sequence. Fuck. So we can do one now if you want. No, not interested. I this quit. Is... I quit. Right. Literally, I'm offering you a solution. <laughs> no. Just sometimes, though, all we want is a hug. <laughs> so what do we normally say? Uh, don't stop saying we. On our two hundred forty-fourth episode. We talk about this week's comics, have an awkward middle bit, and in the spotlight, James talks about Buck Rogers, Volume 1, Future Shock. In our 244th episode, we'll talk about this week's comics, uh, we'll probably have a bit of an awkward middle bit, and in his spotlight, James will be talking about Buck Rogers, Volume 1, Future Shock. That can't be like the very first Buck Rogers comic ever. It is. Um, I've had to... Hi, I'm James. I've had to bring in some security today. Because it's actually worth all of the money. Uh, all of the money. All of the money. So uh, we've got security outside. Hi. Okay. Okay. Good. We've got security outside just making sure um, that no one touches this inappropriately. Who's that? Who's that over there? Have they got that guy? Can they see him? Yeah. Okay, good. No, him. Yeah, just. No, just kick his head in. That's, no, that's. Good. No, that's it. Good. Fine. It's all fine. It's all fine over there. Okay. I'm just it's you're a bit nerve wanna, wracking. That's you're going to want to call the cleaners though, because there's a lot of blood. There's a lot of <laughs> listener. There's a lot of claret on the floor now, and um, blood. I don't know. We've started something. It, yeah, a podcast. Yeah. Why would a wine connoisseur want want to steal a precious comic book? That was very strange, wasn't it? I tell you what. That cravat's never going to be the same again after the the pounding he's taking. Sure, wait, was that the guy who delivers our wine? It, oh God! Bring him back. Get no, get him to get another bottle of claret. More wine. More, yeah. Okay, that should be fine. Around the microphones tonight. Yeah, still James and uh, and Nick. I'm Nick. Hello. Letting light upon magic, light in upon magic. There, aren't we? We are. Yeah. I'll cut all of that. It's fine. Good. I'll that the I think the security detail. Counts as yeah. admin, if anything does. Yeah, that's true enough, yeah. Uh, Jane's not here. It's uh, someone very special's birthday. Steve. Yeah. Life partner Steve. He's been on the show. We can talk about him. Yeah. Happy birthday, life partner Steve. I don't know if... I mean, because now people know his name, life partner Steve, and yeah. they've got his d- date of birth. They can really easily uh, steal his identity. His mother's maiden name was Farquhar. Farquhar. Was it? I don't no. think that's true. No, I don't. I don't know what his mother's maiden name is. I suppose they don't know how old he is. So his year of birth is still. He's as old as the trees. Because if you stole his identity, then you'd get to uh, go to his job, 
and live in his house with Jane. I think you'd think they'd notice, though, the two of them, if someone else started living there with them. I think he'd notice. Um, I can't speak for Jane. <laughs> okay. She seems very fond of him, though, so I think she'd probably... She might notice. She'd probably pick up that something wasn't wrong eventually, wouldn't she? Something wasn't wrong? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. We need more claret. So, what have you been up to this week, James? It's, it's been mostly football for me again. I've been, uh, I've been enjoying that. I've been watching a lot of the World Cup. Like Is that I'm, still going on? Sorry? So, hold on a minute. Will you? Just hold on a second. What? I'm coming. Just, I've got to go for a second. Ah, 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 ah. Bob Carlegie's Spittings the Dog. World Cup football. Hello, Nick. I am Wankula. I know who you are. Oh, okay, I like to announce myself dramatically. Ah, ah, ah. Bob Carlegie's countdown. Countdown clock is a teapot now, I believe. I've, uh, I've just realised something. Yes. Uh, it's taken me a very long time to realise this. Well, I say a very long time. I only really think about it when you're here, Wankula, at all. <laughs> ah, ah. Um, and, and that is that whenever you're here, someone else isn't here. Jane the mum! Ah, Are you ah, Jane ah. mum? No. Oh, OK. I suppose she's a lady and you're a vampire. <laughs> Ah, ah, ah. We are a heady combination. So uh, what uh, what do I owe this visit to? You've missed James, by the way. He's gone out to talk to the security guards about football. He is a fat, feckless goon. Ah, ah, ah. Spitty, spitty. (laughs) World Cup football. Goal! Have you been watching the football? I have been participating, (laughs) playing for generic... Eastern European state. Ah, 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 ah. I am the trainer also of the uh, Luis de Suarez. Om nom nom! Italian (laughs) shoulder! Yum! (laughs) Ah, ah, ah. Celebrity squares. I should have set up a different mic for you, Wankula. This one is fine. No popping. (laughs) He's fine. Very similar to the brand I use on celebrity squares. Is fine. You know, Bernie Clifton, chap with the ostrich. Are you doing Celebrity Squares as a podcast now? We're doing Celebrity Squares podcasts, <laughs> yes. With Bernie Clifton, chap with the ostrich, ah, 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 Bob Carriages, spitting the dog, he host, he go. This feels a little bit like uh, one of those 1980s radio zoo type. You know, when they had guests on and the guests would be really outrageous and the host would be really awkward. And... I want to bite your shoulder, Nick. Ah, <laughs> uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. This is the fashion this week. I get a lot I of that. I train Luis Suarez. I say, Luis, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, spitting the dog. Bite him. Bite him like he's a celebrity from the 1980s. Imagine he has a, a pastel-coloured suit on. Ah, ah, ah. Nom, nom, nom. Are these football references? Possibly. Did someone do something bad in the football? The bitey man. Uh, well, <laughs> the bitey man. That's creepy. That could be the name of a, uh, a uh. scary film. Ah, ah, ah. Because there's the slender man, the bitey man. Oh, I don't like it. Uh, he's just got rows and rows of teeth. Wankula has seen the slender man. He scares the shittings out of Wankula. <laughs> so why why have you come to visit this week, Wankula? What? Why have you come to visit? Ah, ah, ah. Wankula doesn't need a reason. Ah, ah, ah. Although I am now eyeing 
your precious Buck Rogers book. <laughs> uh, Shit. Uh, Shit, I forgot about that. That is a reproduction. It's not worth anything, Wankula. I smell bullshit. <laughs> I am able to F up your security man, too. I may well steal this. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, spitting the dog celebrity squares. Uh, also, also, play your cards right. <laughs> Hiya. Hiya. Oh, nom, nom. Italian shoulder. Mmm, tasty. <laughs> I have no idea why this podcast isn't super popular. Nor do I. To be fair, though, you can, from your podcast of choice, listen to Ah 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 Spitting the Dogs, the Celebrity Squares podcast, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, and Sad Clown. Ah Ah Ah. Thank you, listener. Thank you, listeners. Ah Ah Ah. Wankula. Goodbye, Nick. Om nom nom. Italian shoulder. Poof. <laughs> Oh, Wankula is such a character. So if you see the bloke, if you see the bloke with the wine, tell him, just bring it in. Oh, Nick, I'm so sorry. He's he's levered the bloke with the wine. We're not going to have any claret to drink during this episode whatsoever. Shit. So it's going to be, I'm sorry, it's going to be a sombre affair, listeners. It's going to be a very low-key, very low-key momcast this week. I'm sorry. There isn't an issue of it out this week, as far as I can tell. What, momcast? Low-key. Really? It's comic. We're a comic podcast. We talk about comics. No, Nick, I'm Walt Simonson. <laughs> you missed... Um, How do you think he feels about uh, Loki Breakout uh, book? Do you think he's all right about that? Yeah, I'm sure. Good. You you missed Rankula again. Oh, fucking what, really? Yeah, every single time. What did he want this time? Um, he just... I don't know. He seemed really, really obsessed with uh, some footballer. Oh, Okay. I didn't realise he was so into football. He's never really mentioned it before. There's a uh, there's a Colombian footballer. Um, well, no, there's, there's 23 of them um, in Brazil at the moment, but there's one in particular that fascinates me. Um, his name is spelt J-A-M-E-S. J-A-M-E-S. They James. Pro- yeah, they pronounce it James. I think I might have said this last week. I might have no, repeated myself. I don't think so. It's like uh, Jesus. I made, uh, I made a joke earlier that I don't know whether uh, anyone understood that uh, we had a... I hope they didn't. Uh, I had uh, we had a sweepstake at work, as many people do. Uh, one of our colleagues at work may or may not enjoy produce from Colombia, mm-hmm. and um, I think they picked them out in the sweepstake. And I uh, suggested it was ap- apt, and I laughed. Produce like do we get oranges from Colombia? Yeah, something like that. I um, I'm sorry, James. I it's all you wouldn't know this because you've never had to experience it but I always the reason my eyes are kind of all puffy um, and I seem a bit more like distant and vague even than usual even than I did on this week's Two Grown Men which you can still find on the internet at twogrownmen.net listener um, where I pretty much admitted to being in the middle of a five year nervous breakdown oh dude Uh, (laughs) oh dude um uh, no, not, not do you really. mean five years into a nervous breakdown, or in, so you're two and a half years into a? Well, no, I'm easing into it. All right. Most people, the 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 significant event happens yeah. really, really quickly, but I'm just yeah. easing into it. Is that why you came to the podcast today on a Harley Davidson motorbike with a bikini-clad woman uh, clinging onto your waist? No, no, nervous breakdown, not midlife crisis. What's the difference? You can have a nervous breakdown anytime. 
Find out on this week's Two Grown Men. Be sure to tune in and we'll tell you. Arthur from EastEnders oh. was well past midlife crisis age That's when true. he had his breakdown. That's, yeah, he was he was closer to the end than he realised at that point when he, oh, do you remember that? And he, he'd spent and he'd spent the Christmas club money. Oh, Pauline, he said, what am I going to do? Oh, it's so sad. They're all gone now. The, all gone. The, um, I'm not sure there's really a podcast for... Uh, uh, shit, I've completely lost where I was going to say. You know what we should do? We should do a weekly podcast where we review week by week EastEnders starting from episode one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, but there's several episodes a week, so... Yeah, but early on, early on it was only two, wasn't it? So that's oh, only an hour's commitment initially, so... Yeah, yeah, maybe we should do that. Yeah. We really shouldn't do, do that. Do, 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 uh, I sometimes have thought uh, that the main reason... I haven't had a full-on... Because have you ever got to the point where you've just got got so frantic and so mm. stressed out and stuff that you've really just wanted to smash stuff? And you get you get to the point where, I mean, maybe you've actually done it, James, I don't know, but you get to the point where you've got your hands there at the edge mm. of the desk, ready to sweep everything off the desk, and then you look at it and think, because no, in a couple of hours I'll just have to fucking clean it up, won't I? <laughs> I uh, Leave it. My, it's too much hassle. In my shed, I like to collect very large pieces of cardboard. And um, in my very special moments, I like to go down there and I like to get a seven iron out of my golf bag and beat the bloody shit out of the cardboard. It's quite You've cathartic. got a golf bag? I, I play golf occasionally. I'm shit at it. I didn't know that. Is yeah, that because yeah, you were playing Yeah, you did. No. Do I, you mentioned the other day that you like fishing. No, you knew that I go and play golf occasionally with family members. Oh, maybe I did. Yeah. I don't know. I dislocated the knee play- kneecap playing it once. It's uh, pretty hardcore. Oh, cocaine. <laughs> From Colombia. Is that okay? Right, okay. No, I'm, I'm always... Uh, Wankula's a little bit... I wouldn't say he's highly strung, mm. but he's quite... He He brings an energy to the show... That none of the rest of us do, oh, right. in that he he seems quite happy to be here, yeah. and it's quite it's quite exhausting trying to keep up. How'd and my you, eyes get all puffy because he makes me very sad. How do you how do you recover from something like that? Oh, I I do an hour hour long podcast with you afterwards. Normally, fair enough. We really we should do something to deter him from coming. Three times he's been in. I've missed him every time though. What are the chances? I've got a question to ask you that's comic book related. Deter him from coming. Have you heard something about his ability to come? <laughs> no. Oh, there's a, there's another topic we can cover next week on our other podcast. Um, I've got a question that's comic book related for you, Nick. Yes. If comic books were for everybody, yes. why don't they sell better? I, I was actually talking to life partner Steve about uh, roughly ev- this yesterday. Does everybody know? Uh, Should we not let them know? I, I don't think everybody knows that comics are for everybody. As um, I know, I sound like a broken record on this, but I, I, one of the few things I'm super idealistic about, mm. um, although you'd never know it because I complain most of the time on the internet. But one of the few things I'm super idealistic about, and one of the few things I genuinely have faith in, is the potential for the comic medium mm. to be read and enjoyed by almost everyone. Um, I mean that's kind of one of the guiding principles of the show isn't it I know that as well but like we all kind of believe that but I I kind of deep down genuinely believe that um, most of the reasons why the comic audience isn't bigger is because um, 
the industry has kind of done it to itself. Because we were talking about, Steve and I were specifically were talking about um, Moosehead Kid. Ah, the new Jamie Smart thing. The Jamie Smart anthology kids comic that's yeah. available online, uh, which I know I know Steve's read. I haven't had a chance to yet. Um, and we totally failed to mention it in our awkward middle bit last week. But we we were uh, we were kind of talking about how that that used to be the sort of thing that there isn't really anything like that on the newsagent shelves anymore, mm. and that what you've got is those comics have kind of left the newsagent shelves, and they were literally the only sort of comic that was left on newsagent shelves. Really, um, everything everything that you can buy in W H Smiths now, every comic-y thing that you can buy in W H Smiths, also has loads of pages of magazines. Normally comes in a bag with a bunch of toys or something in it. Um, that started sneaking in about twenty, like fifteen, twenty years ago. Uh, all other comics had left newsagents several years before yeah. to go into the direct market. So, like, th- these are all popularity drops. Over time, obviously, it used to be that every kid used to read either the Beano or the Dandy or something like that. You'd buy a comic with yeah. your pocket money. And that, that sort of dwindled a little bit as time went on as uh, grown-ups started to think of comics as, more, as, as too childish. And, but at the same time, comics kind of abdicate, abdicated from the wider market. It just sort of the mainstream comics, Marvel and DC and everyone just said, well, we won't be in newsagents anymore. Let's go into specialty comic shops. And I kind of think that's – I think that's why, James. I don't know if you necessarily wanted a serious answer. I think you were commenting on that cool T-shirt design. That's no, I'm around. glad I got that answer. That was um, much better than one I could have conjured up because I think you're correct. Um, I do this podcast too because I like comics and I'd like more people to read them. So I think that's very uh, – I think you're right. Yeah, and it's I get I get this thing like you know you know like there's, there's a you know, I don't know whether it's a bit of a misconception that you know some people who don't read comics sort of assume that that adult men probably shouldn't be reading it right so they don't understand why we read comics what I don't understand is why everyone isn't reading comics mm. if you like to read why don't you read comics well in this country I definitely think certainly for men our age. And maybe 10 years either side of us, I think it's uh, mothers who are to blame because nearly every guy that came into the comic shop that I used to work in, Mm. that came into Food and Planet when I worked there, um, who hadn't been in a comic shop before, um, but who was 10 years younger, within the 10-year bracket Mm. younger than me, uh, was someone who was saying, I used to... I used to love comics when I was younger. I used to read 2000 E and like have loads of Spider-Man. I really liked Spider-Man. More people than I imagined had read comics yeah. at that age because I, you know, because I carried on reading them later than most people did. So my school experience was very much well, people don't other people don't read them. Mm. Um but yeah, lots of guys, quite normal looking guys, nearly all of them saying that their mums had had basically they'd come home from school one day and their mums had just chucked out all of their comics or given them away to someone. It should be said though for balance that some fathers are feckless too. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm sure there are plenty of fathers who've chucked um who've chucked comics away. I mean Or just just ruin lives. It's yeah, that's also true. I think um maybe this idea of comics as being a male thing, there's sort of a, a more weirdly nostalgic 
side to that as well because it's not girls didn't read comics as much when we were growing up even so, though there were girls comics so we nostalgic like, for a time when we didn't have to interact with female no 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 um, no i haven't right. finished oh um, sorry but because now there's actually um there's actually like research or statistics that say that comics really help teenage boys mm. read mm. and teenage boys are one of the uh, are the demographic that is you know younger boys are the demographic that is most likely to just not read at all that maybe boys carry on reading comics boys engage with comics and they're not engaging with books an mm-hmm. awful lot whereas if a girl reads she probably keeps reading Books, you know what I mean. I, I I remember I remember girls reading books. Girls did not seem to be as at risk of illiteracy as boys in the schools that in the schools that I populated that I went to. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? Um, and I say that about I mean having having said that about having said that about comics kind of sidelining themselves of the business side of things. Um, there obviously there is a stigma. There there was a stigma attached of maybe it being something that you grow out of. That like you shouldn't be reading them in your in your teens or whatever. That was certainly the the case in the eighties. But books have reading in general has become less popular as well, hasn't it? But yes. like reading novels, reading fiction, well, no, it's kind it, of reading um, social media is very popular. Oh yeah, that's very popular. But um, but but the book market has kind of struggled. Having said that, with this, I always wonder because. We went through hundreds of years where only very rich people were able to read anyway yeah. <laughs> or afford books. Oh. So when was the sweet spot when people yeah. started reading lots and then started deteriorating? Was it literally in the 70s or 80s when bookshops started opening up? And no, it was 1973. Was it actually when I was yeah. born? October. Shit. Mm. That's when it, it all started going downhill? Yeah. Or all that was, was the, at its That peak? was the zenith. Ah, okay. But so, I mean, I, I saw someone... Uh, tweet the other day i can't remember who it was but they said uh someone asked them well what's the they overheard someone explaining what a young adult what a ya novel was uh what a young adult novel was and they said well they're the same as uh they're the same as any other novel except people actually read them yeah. <laughs> which oh. i thought was quite Talking of which, funny I, and telling I, I, i'll tell you what i found I'm, i've got a book on the go at the moment i like having a book on the go I didn't realise I had the um, His Dark Materials uh, trilogy at home, so I've started reading. Is it your first time? Yeah, I've oh, started I reading those. that. Yeah, it's good fun. Yeah, the Northern Lights, right? Gets a little bit weird around the the, the final book is a, a curious egg. It's very different from the first mm. two books, but I like it. It's good. I'm having a lot of fun so far. The first book is the first book is delightful. Oh, it's lovely. Yeah, and um, you can sort of see how. Have you seen the film? No. The The film didn't do very well commercially and there were some very odd decisions made in it. But I think visually and characterization-wise, they nailed most of the really important stuff. Okay. They just made some really odd decisions. Like it isn't as complicated as something like Lord of the Rings, but even Lord of the Rings probably has too much explanation of the world at the very hmm. beginning. Yeah. What they did with... Um, what they did with the first His Dark Materials film, well, obviously the only His Dark Materials film, was they had this uh, five-minute 
voiceover voiceover with footage from the rest of the film okay. explaining this world where there were witches and who lived in such and such a place and uh and don't spoil too much no well i mean it, it basically explaining the the whole world mm. and 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 uh the how the magic works in the world and all of this stuff so this five minute voiceover thing using footage you're going to see later on anyway and then the first 10 minutes does the exact same thing that the first 10 minutes of any film does anyway which is yeah. explain all that stuff again but in the story yeah but that means so when it's... i eventually watch it on dvd it means i get to all i have to do is be very quiet for that bit then i get to make smart ass comments for the first 10 minutes yeah maybe yeah you how far in are you oh about 100 pages I don't know. I don't know. What oh, that she's means. still in Oxford. Oh right. Oh yeah. You're still quite early in. Yeah. You haven't met my favourite characters yet. No. Um, well, that's I'm good. Take, so that's I'm taking you, it real slow. It's that's good. something you've been doing today, this week. This week. I uh, I was I had a bath earlier today. I had a nice bath because my mm. my uh, my um, anus genitals hip hip has been really aching. I've been having a bit of a problem with one of my knees. Well, I've been having two different problems with each of my knees. But I've been having a bit of a problem with one of my knees and, and I think I've been carrying my weight differently so my hip was aching. Either that or I've got like uh, uh, some some debilitating disease in my pelvis. Probably that. Um, yeah, probably that. So um, so I had a bath because that helps with uh, cancer and all of that stuff. Yeah. Well, if it was Ebola, it would have washed it away. Yeah. Mm. And uh, every time I have a bath, I read a little bit more of Philip K. Dick's uh, The Man in the High Tower. Isn't that funny? So I'm 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 about 50 pages from the end. Mm. Uh, I've been reading it for over a year. <laughs> You're reading, Dick, whilst you are soaking your While I'm washing dick. my dick, yeah. yeah. No, that's true. So I read a bit more of that, and I, I thought I still had loads of it to go, but it turns mm. out I'm about 50 pages from the end, okay. which is a little bit weird. Because I've every time I've been reading it, I've been thinking, well, there are lots of very interesting, completely disparate elements that don't seem to bear any have any connection to each other. Yeah. Um, I wonder when this book's going to start like really coming together. And it turns out I'm fifty pages from the end, wow. so maybe it just won't. Oh dear. Maybe, well, I don't know. It's a classic. Or it so. might be a really quick fifty pages. Yeah. Wow. It's it's supposed to be a classic, so Great. it is very interesting. Mm. I like Dick. I like Dick too. Um. So uh, that was that's pretty much. I, I had a bath today. That's been the high high point of my week. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. There was other stuff, but I can't remember what any of it was. Oh, I, I think I'm almost caught up with the Uncanny X Men, X Men, um, the all new X Men books. That's good. I was catching up on a few comics over the weekend. And uh, is that because you you've been listening to the far superior Rachel and Miles explaining the X Men podcast? No, well, I have been listening to it, but that, well, isn't, why good, been, that it? isn't why I've been reading it. I don't know how they do it. How do you reckon they get that slick? Oh, I think I think there's an element of scripting to it. They don't rely on nonsense at all. No, that's true. Yeah. Well, I mean, they rely on, like, their subject matter is the X-Men, as written by Chris Claremont. <laughs> it's kind of nonsense. That's true. Um, I did, uh, listening to them did prompt me to pull out uh, my Essential X-Men volume, though, which happens to cover... The uh, the years that uh, the year that the X Men some of the X Men were stuck in the Savage Land, which I think one of my first eighties uh, era um, X Men memories. It was actually a few pages from uh, Cyclops having a battle with. Um, I think the first time I ever saw Colossus was 
was in a black and white mm-hmm. reprint of those those stories that, that those stories because I very clearly remember there's kind of a, a a sort of a mummified scary looking dude who has eye beams that come out of <coughs> each of his eyes awesome and uh, and he and uh, Scott Summers are facing off across the top of this large uh, this gigantic dome they're having to Scott Summers is having to match his eye beams perfectly with the other guy's eye beams and at the time I always thought that's weird because Scott Summers has one long thin rectangular eye beam and the other Mm. guy has two Mm. round eye beams so you'd think there'd be some slippage anyway but that's um, really hard really hard to pull off that's some skill and I remember uh, I remember very clearly uh, because that was one of my first real experiences of that mm. uh, remembering very clearly that when eventually uh the building can't take it and mm. starts collapsing into this chasm uh the baddie sort of falls off and scott summers tries to save him but can't and there's this moment of pathos where it's not just good guys and bad guys they are trying to be and did the musketeers get in there don't know. Uh, I think it was just Pathos. I don't think the oh, other two were there. I like the other three. He always there. smells nice. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the other one? Dogtanian. That's it. No, he wasn't one of the three. Porthos, Athos. Athos. Pathos. Pathos. Porthos. Isn't he the one who has to eject Jack Porthos? He That's has to right, eject. Yeah. Because he's too fat yeah. and he can't eject from his X-wing. Yeah. I've never seen a fat man explode in space. Eject, eject, eject. I don't want to. I feel scared. I'm scared. I'm about to die. I'm scared. And all you can say is eject to me. Give me some comfort. Tell me you love me. <laughs> oh, I'm dead now. You fucking happy. Uh, Skinny fucks. Uh, so, yeah. So, they were, they were covering stuff. So, it prompted me to go and get my essential X-Men out and leaf through those pages again. Chris Claremont's writing is really florid. Isn't it? I don't, I don't know if yeah. I can manage it anymore. I, I, yeah, no. I, I'm not going to talk about Chris Claremont's X-Men. I didn't read it at the time, so I don't have that nostalgia. There is an energy to it. I'm not sure it's an energy I necessarily appreciate. Uh, uh, we finished this uh, We finished this most recent series of Orange is the New Black, the second series of Orange is the New Black. That was something that happened. I hear it's we, rubbish. We've been watching a lot of those. What, the, the whole thing or the second yeah, series? second series. Um, I suspect that the second series just refined a whole bunch of stuff that was already there in the first series. Oh, yeah, there was someone on the internet today and they got someone who'd been in a women's prison review. Yeah, I was reading that. It's not like a women's prison. What, this comedy set in a women's prison isn't like a women's prison? Get fucked. I, the problem is, because I had that conversation with someone... Uh, and they said, well, I don't really go to it for realism. But the thing is, it had quite a lot of critical... It had a lot of... Mm. Um, it was quite critically acclaimed in the first series. And part of it was that while it was... Um, while it is a comedy, it is also based on someone's real-life experiences. And there is an, there was an element in the first series of... it. Some of the humour was quite dark. The male guards in particular, there was very much this sense that the male guards, that, that there was a statement being made about the way male guards are with female uh, with female prisoners. Whereas this season it has been much more of a soap opera, except that I think all of this soap opera stuff was in the first season. It's just we didn't register it because it was... It's much more like the L word than anything else. Porridge was uh, quite plausible. I think porridge was quite plausible. Yeah. Uh, the mundanity... 
does that still does that still even though orange is the new black is very good does porridge still remain the gold standard for prison based comedy i th- i think that there are few enough uh female prison set dramas or comedies that they kind of have to be treated as slightly differently. But yeah, I think so. I think it beats out Oz and any number of other things. I bet it's not better than Prisoner, is it? I love Prisoner. Nothing's better than... Oh, what? Orange is the New Black? Yeah. I don't know. It's it hard opera- to say. It operates the press in uh, Orange is the New Black. There isn't... Because they're the Queen Bee. I feel like I've had this conversation with you somewhere as well. There isn't a press, I don't think, but there what? is uh, there How is an. How do you decide ex- who's top, top Queen Bee? The person who runs the kitchen. Oh yeah, that makes sense. There is a um, there is an ex Star Trek captain in it. Jade away. Yeah, she's in it as this Russian character. It's nice, isn't it? Do you think it was worth coming all that way back to end up in prison? I described it. Uh, I described it a couple of times on Twitter this week as the best uh, U.S. high school drama comedy around at the moment. I saw that. That was good work because that's what it feels more like. It's got, it's got, it feels roughly as dangerous and horrible mm. as school did when you were at school. You know, the. Because actually, very few of us did get beaten up or killed by the rough kid, but we were always worried that it might happen. I'll tell you what I'd like to, like to see more of. Mm-hmm. And you don't, you don't really even see him on the TV anymore, but um, you know, the, uh, the feature length uh, Peanuts, Charlie Brown cartoons. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to see more of them. But I want them to have the same sort of vibe as the ones made in the 70s and early 80s, Ed. So you basically would be happy with repeats of the, the ones? Yeah. In the... Especially, I like the one where he goes to summer camp. It just makes me feel nice. So less uh, original drama and comedy, yeah. more, more Charlie Brown. Yeah. Okay. Wah, wah, wah. We draw the line at, uh, at Garfield. Yeah, I've, I've seen it. It doesn't really stand up, the cartoons. No. Strips are great, but... Um, I I talked about Garfield a little. I ended up talking about Garfield a couple of times this week, so I was just remembering again how weird it is to think about um, how much food in this country changed in the in the 1980s. I wouldn't, sure have eaten, I wouldn't have eaten lasagna if it hadn't been for Garfield. Oh, by the way, our, our new cat is settling in very nicely. Thank eating you. lots of lasagna, hating Mondays. Can't stand Mondays. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. I think all cats don't. I think and Bob Geldof. Yeah, I yeah, I, I don't think cats like Bob Geldof either. No. Who does? Um, it's uh, I think Midjour does. Does he? Well, I don't know. It's hard. Does to he say. really? It's really in hard his to heart. Say. Uh, a good heart th- these days. It's hard to find. That's Fergal Sharkey. I think that you'll find if you were to ask Meteor what he thought of. Uh, Bob Geldof, he'd, he'd say that he means nothing to him. <laughs> oh, Vienna. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sometimes we talk about comics. We'll do that in just a second. If you want to talk to us about comics or any of the other nonsense we've just been talking, <laughs> or if you want to, if you want to uh, ask Wankula a question, I'm sure we could get something sent to him. It's you only can... a matter of time before someone puts a stake through his art. I've got yeah. a funny feeling. You can uh, email him. Us, you can email us at oh, it's me, uh, mumcast at gmail.com. Yes, correct, James. That's the address. Yep. Uh, you can also talk to the you, you can talk to mom in general on Twitter at mom comics on Twitter. Also, James is on Twitter at 
Oh, God, I'm James Mob. I'll do it properly. Go on. James Mob. James Mob. M-O-M-B. And I'm, uh, I'm Nick Sight, N-I-X-S-I-G-H-T. You can listen to this episode again if you want to. Yeah. And all other episodes that we've ever done, including some uh, very long, very good specials. Yeah. Very long, good specials. Well, they're good and long, uh, really. <laughs> Um, the, <laughs> the free, just like us for free comic book days and stuff like that you're good I'm long uh, though you can listen to all of those at momcomics.com they're completely free and they all have lots of show notes so if you want to uh, skip to review of a particular book or whatever you can find timestamps in there and if you follow links from there to buy stuff we get a little bit of money off Amazon for that, so that would be one way you could support the show. Um, so far, I've bought myself a caravan in South Wales from that. So thank you very much. That's true, you have. Yes. The, uh, the we also have a page on Facebook. Uh, we've we're also on uh, Google Plus and on <laughs> Tumblr as well. The Tumblr one has loads of nice pictures on it. Yeah. Uh, you can find links to those from the top right of momcomics.com. Is there anything I'm missing? Oh, we're on Stitcher. You can listen to us on Stitcher. Mm -hmm. You can listen to episodes on SoundCloud. Uh, Sad Clown, as James calls it. Uh, and obviously you can uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or on uh, Pocket Casts or, or your, any other podca podcatcher of choice you might choose to have uh, your pods caught on. Uh, if you do want to support the show but don't want to buy anything off Amazon... Uh, you could leave us a comment and a review on whichever podcatcher it is you want to. It, it's, it helps our egos if you do it, and we like to see people talking to us and we can respond. But it's also uh, apparently quite good at um, getting us seen by more people, especially someone like iTunes. So that's good. Um, I think we can probably talk about comics now, can't we? Kendo, if you know anyone um, influential, uh, let them know about us. Yes. Influential in what field? Like uh, Barack just, Obama? Yeah. Oh, man. Can you imagine, though? Surely we get a couple of downloads if Barack Obama was like, oh, I, I am going to do nothing about Syria. But I tell you, I was listening to the Mombcast. That's M-O-M-B, America, cast the other day. And golly gosh, those guys have got things to say. Do... Uh, does he like comics? Oh, he can't get enough. I, he definitely likes weirdly stereotypical vampires, so there are at least a few episodes that would be right up his alley. His favourite episodes are definitely the Wankular episodes, although I heard him say that he thought Wankular's first two appearances were much stronger. Uh, we are only nearly 40 minutes in. You're welcome, listener. <laughs> you are welcome. So let's talk about comics. Who says you don't get a lot of value out of the Momcast? I, uh, the, the good thing about uh, being a little bit skint, obviously I still have to check my privilege. I'm not completely skint, but being a little bit skint is I'm being really brutal about any comics. If I go to the comic shop and I get my standing order off the people at the comic shop and there's an issue of a comic and I think oh, you know, I don't think I read the previous one of this. It comes off the standing order now, which is kind of probably how it should be. But sometimes you just don't get enough time to read the comic, the issue before. Time is a very precious commodity. Yeah, especially if you're super busy. But the good thing about that is it means that nearly everything I'm buying at the moment is something that I want to read really, really quickly. 
because I've I've cut out an awful lot. There's a hell of endorsement you're making of all of your comics this week, then. There's there's lots of unusual cool stuff. That I, nearly, I think uh, every book I've got, every th- every book I've got to talk about, and I will only I won't talk about all of them in depth, James. Don't worry, it's that quite is a, pile. a massive relief to me because um, now I know we've been going on so long. I can't help thinking, well, golly, it's about time to get over my tea. Is is something that is not like anything else, uh, not not like anything else that I know of uh, out in comics at the moment. So, um. 2000 E Prog 1887, uh, fully produced in the year 1887, <laughs> using up all of those resources, um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, so 1887 has now ceased to exist. Beamed forward to the future. Well, the future is the present. That's us, really. The future is a present that the past gives us every day. Yes, uh, Judge Dredd. <laughs> There's been a five-part Judge Dredd story it comes to a close this week. Uh, it's called Trauma Town. It's uh, written by Michael Carroll with art by Nick Percival. It was uh, quite a s- horrific um, story. Lots of nightmares being visited upon the uh, like waking nightmares visited upon the people of Mega City One, mainly Judge Dredd. It comes to a satisfactory close. Nick per- Percival's visuals on it were. Um, Beautiful and horrific. Is it just measure. me, or are they playing an incredibly long game on the Dark Judges? Yeah, because they were supposed to come back, and then they turned up very, very briefly during the Day of Chaos, and then fucked yeah. off again. Yeah, it's it's a little bit weird. I really, I really hope I have more disposable income by the time they get round to. I think I think that they were due in the last year sometime, and they must have bumped the story for some reason because they were they were teasing it quite heavily, weren't they? As something yes. that was coming when you were still reading it. Mm. So um, there's a really there's a really cute time twister story called Burping Hitler, <laughs> um, which is uh, written by Rob Williams with art by Simon Gurr. Simon Gurr's art is is beautiful, uh, really nice black and white art. It's a time travel story featuring Hitler. Which uh, features but doesn't seek to answer the moral conundrum of whether or not you would go back in time and kill Hitler as a baby. Um, it's lots of... Just changes environmental influences because uh, I don't think it's genetic. I think uh, there might have been some nurture involved. Yeah, I think so, definitely. Um, there's Kill his dad. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, are we blaming the dad? It's always the dad. Okay. Or the but... mother. <laughs> Kill them both. Yeah. So um, make it look like they did it to each other, though. Most people would say they fuck him up even worse. Though. Most people, when they thought about that, would say. Um, yeah, you go back in time and kill Hitler's parents. But you mean... No, that's how to turn Hitler into Batman. You mean after he's born, don't you? Not yeah. before he's born. No, that's how you turn Hitler into Batman. You go back in the time, right? You wait until Hitler's going to the cinema with his parents, kill his parents, Bob's your uncle. In the 1930s, all of a sudden, there's like this vigilante appears in Europe, starts righting wrongs. Is it fair to say that... Had Hitler not existed or not turned out the way he did, mm. uh, somebody else probably would have risen to that position. May there have been like social social and economic drivers behind a lot of that stuff. If Hitler had become Batman, it would probably been Steve Rogers. Well, I was going to – in fact, what I was thinking was if, if Hitler didn't become Hitler and some other uh, uh, right-wing mm. uh, scumbag – 
rose to that position. But if Hitler mm. became Batman, yeah. then he'd be constantly fighting the Nazis. Unbelievable. So I suggested that this story was a bit subversive, but now that I think about it, I don't think ridiculing Hitler really counts as subversive. <laughs> Um, there you go, 2000 AD, we fixed it for you. That said, Indigo Prime is the final part of an eight-part story called Perfect Day. Also features a Nazi, actually, but a Nazi from a dimension where um, the Nazis won World War II. Um, and uh, it's written by John Smith with beautiful art by Lee Carter. It's uh, the final part of this book, but this book kind of finishes on a, a cliffhanger Everything goes to shit by the end of this issue, and now we're going to have to wait a while before we yeah. uh, we see what happens to this. Um, not only does this have not only does this have a Nazi from another dimension uh, where the Nazis won, um, and basically he's done some work with Indigo Prime in that alternate Ooh. before, so they have as a as like a. I don't know, as part of the deal, he's he's terminally ill, so they are giving him his like final perfect day, his bucket list day around time and space mm-hmm. and dimensions. Um, it's been really odd. And in the last issue, he decided that he wanted to go and see uh, Jesus Christ being crucified. So I suggested that the last issue was quite subversive. Mm-hmm. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I think I suggested that it was starting to get quite quite weird mm. and uh, and uh, potentially controversial um it 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 gets worse in this issue brilliant, brilliant. um i is i it, won't is it lady die no 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 it's still it's still jesus all right it's the only way i think you could get worse than jesus in it is lady die um yes but it's it's a great really super interesting story I really like it. I, I've always really liked John Smith's art. He ha- uh, Not art, sorry, writing. He hasn't really changed since he was writing uh, Indigo Prime and stories like it back in the late 80s and I guess early 90s. But it's okay. I can live with it. A lot of comic writers, a lot of comic writers who have continued through, throughout have had to streamline the way they write because comics just were a bit more verbose back then. And um, he hasn't bothered, but it's fine. I love it. <laughs> so, and he's good. He's good. He was doing all those adverts with Jack D at the time as well. They were funny. Yes, yes. Where would we be without our British pop culture references? <laughs> it's, one, the one, it's one for the kids. The one thing that bothers me a little bit about it, though, is there's a whole bunch of Lovecraftian Cthulhu-y stuff in here. In, in this story and Indigo Prime was already kind of weir- weird enough and it had similar elements to like uh, that reality bending um, the, the theme of that reality bending insanity uh, driving weirdness that is in um, Love Lovecraftian mythos and it was also in Indigo Prime but I didn't really make the connection between the two mm. of them before it does feel a little bit like Cthulhu's everywhere do, in popular do, culture at the moment. Do you know funny I was only talking about Cthulhu with a couple of colleagues at work today and I actually sent them a link to the Wikipedia page when they just looked at me when I mentioned yeah. uh, Cthulhu. It's if you're not that bothered it can be a little bit dot, like, frust- like frustrating and weird I don't get it. I don't understand. 
He's just a giant squid-faced person thing. Uh, Grey Area by Dan Abner and Mark Harrison is, is also still really good. They are also confronting God, in inverted commas. There's a, a lot of big ideas in 2000 at the moment, and I guess that's a Judge Dredd story and a uh, Indigo Prime story and a one-off time twister. They're all kind of finishing this week, so goodness knows what's going to be in it next week. Should be exciting. Good. There's a sale on trade paperbacks at their site at the moment as well. So, um, letter forty four. There's a the is the spacey politically uh, grounded in our reality, but also featuring extraterrestrially stuff. Story of all the books that you've been reviewing over the last few months, this is the one that I want to read and trade the most. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It's really really good. Written by Charles Saul. And this is issue seven. It's from Oni Press. It's $3.99. It's written by Charles Saul with guest star on this issue by Joel Jones. It's a flashback to the story of Letter 44 is is split, really, into, into two different parts. On the one hand, you've got the incoming new president of the United States who finds out in the letter from the previous president to him that... Um, the government has been hiding uh, knowledge of this extraterrestrial force out in space for about the last 15 years or, or something like that, seven, seven or eight years or something, and that all of the wars in the Middle East and stuff and stuff like that that they've been doing, all of the spending on military stuff has been used to try and uh, research ways of finding out more about this force. Basically, uh, they spotted these aliens turning up and hiding behind this shield out uh, near one of the other planets. And then the, no efforts to communicate with them have borne any fruit. <clears throat> we don't know what they're doing out there, but the fact that they're just sitting there and not communicating with us is worrying. So, yeah, a Republican president is outgoing. The suggestion that is quite interesting that all of the worst things that the American government has been doing over the last uh, over the last 10 years has been about uh, trying to work out a way to protect the whole planet from this force was interesting. But at the same time, there's the story of the mission that they sent out a few years ago, uh, a mixed military and scientific mission uh, with probably no way of coming back, a manned mission to try and find out what's going on with this. This issue is basically about two characters um two of the characters who are on that mission prior to them being asked to go on the mission in the first place um i guess it's it's kind of digging into why somebody would why somebody who is a renowned scientist would go on what is almost definitely a suicide mission the one of them is a complete jerk um and uh, an academic and a bit of an adventurer but a complete jerk the other is also a world renowned academic but in her story you find out um you find out that she uh in the years preceding all of this happening had a miscarriage and lost her partner um in the aftermath of that and so uh is pretty devastated when she is approached to go on this mission the reason I'm mentioning this, even though it's issue seven, um, is, well, on the one hand, you should definitely like get hold of the trade. I think there is one of the first few issues now. Um, you should definitely get hold of the trade, even though this is quite an odd 
issue, the uh, scenes wherein she's dealing with her miscarriage are really affecting and really well handled. Um, so uh, I wanted to mention them because it's not something you tend to see in a no. comic. Uh, the Fuse is issue five. Uh, issue five of The Fuse, it's uh, the, fi- the fifth part of the story, The Russia Shift. I think we're, this uh, this arc is probably... This first story is probably reaching uh, reaching a climax pretty soon. It's the it's written by Anthony Johnston with art by Justin Greenwood. Um, this is from Image, and is three dollars fifty. And it's uh, the it's basically a, a cop detective drama, a murder detective drama set on a set on a massive space station. This is a uh, if it's like it, it there is kind of a connection between this and letter 44 in that both of them have a uh, very grounded but quite high concept science fiction ideas to them and there's also quite a mix of this very down to earth stuff the investigation stuff in this is quite uh, down to earth the fact that it's all humans um, interacting with each other and inv- investigating a, a murder is all quite grounded. Uh, there's also political intrigue in this the way there is normally in Letter 44 as well. It's a great comic. Um, this story is going really, really well. It'll be interesting to see what they do once this story is finished, actually, uh, where where this uh, concept moves on to. It's got a really great uh, female lead character as well. Just to clarify, um, the Letter 44 trade paperback, uh, the first one is out on the 30th of July. Ooh, that's something for you to put an order into the uh Available to pre-order now. now. Mm, that's exciting. Uh, Midas Flesh, number seven. There's only one more issue of this after this. Uh, I'm not going to talk loads about it because I've talked so much about it before, but it continues to be great uh, science fantasy, but kind of science fiction. Uh, it, it feels weirdly grounded considering King Midas... It, as a concept, is at the centre of it, and there's a talking dinosaur in it. Um, written by Ryan North with uh, Verve, and amazing art by Shelley Paraline and Braden Lamb, which is really peculiar because it's got kind of this almost cell shaded anim- animation style to it. It's very, uh, very bold art, and the writing is very snappy, but the stakes are massive. I don't mean the the steaks is in meals. I mean, I haven't had a steak for as long as I can remember. Uh, basically, there is an evil federation. Are they called the federation? All federations are evil, apart from the federation of lovely people. But there's uh, there's an there's the, the effectively the evil empire and the plucky three person crew of um, of a ship. One of whom is a dinosaur, and the other two are. A male dinosaur and the other two are ladies. Um, wanted to go to Earth, which was this little backwards planet that uh, was effectively destroyed in the time of King Midas by the fact that King Midas got his King Midas powers and turned the whole planet to gold. Um, what's really interesting? What's really interesting about this is the core concept of it is ridiculous. It's pretty ridiculous. It's based in mythology, but all of the stuff about how they're going to weaponize the body of Midas is just fascinating and feels really grounded. When they have a space battle, it all feels very 
you know the the physics of it all seem very plausible the way they're described it's a great comic and it's one issue away from the end so don't don't bother trying to pick up the back issues there'll be a trade it'll be amazing the trees the second issue of this comic by warren ellis and jason howard it's two dollars 99 from image and it's another high concept but very grounded sci-fi book but again very different from all of the previous ones i'm talking about this one is this one is really interesting again it's a it's a book that's quite hard to see how it's going to come together but it's it's set uh, several years after a, a bunch of these gigantic apparently extraterrestrial structures or sort of uh, organic structures have just appeared on earth um, and they they call them trees because they look like trees. And when I said organic, they're kind of like plants. Um, they don't seem to respond to us uh, beyond being quite devastating whenever they uh, get rid of waste materials or anything like that. Um, they don't communicate with us. They've resisted all efforts to communicate with them or really examine what they're there for. And... What Ellis and Howard are doing in this is, because it's set a few years after these trees turned up, what they very much seem to be doing is exploring the um, the so- social and political yeah, situations and consequences of, of these things being there. Um, in a world that was already kind of... Uh, uh, degenerating with the rich becoming richer and the poor becoming poorer and and it's already politically destabilized and stuff it's our planet but then these things have turned up um and the story's jumping around between very different characters in very different situations some are political some are scientific i don't know if we're going to find out much about the trees but there's there's definitely a suggestion that the trees are having more of an impact on our environment than we thought um it's it's weird because tonally it feels more like something like the film traffic or you you know I, i don't know if you've seen traffic but it's um it's a film about it's a film about the drug business in uh in i guess in the US and in Central America but it 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 approaches narrative in a really interesting way i guess the wire kind of did this as well we're used to we're used to narratives where uh the plot is quite there's a plot and it's quite linear and um and characters characters turn up so that they'll serve a role later on in the relationship and you've normally got a main protagonist and stuff like that whereas Traffic and the Wire and it feels like this as well are sort of saying well this is the planet that we're on that's the story and these are these are we've picked we've picked these different characters who shed light on a different aspect of this world that we're exploring Um, and they might never some of them might end up encountering each other but for the most part what we're finding out about is this world really it's really interesting though i much preferred this issue to the first one i think the first one was great but i had that um you know that not quite sure what shape it's going to take nerves thing that i always get with comics yeah and i feel you know i get like that with tv and books and stuff as well so sure um my favorite my favorite comic this week 
was, I think, my favourite comic when the first issue came out as well. It's uh, Ordinary by Rob Williams and Disraeli. It's $3.99 from Titan Comics. Actually, I should have checked. I think there was some weird thing about it also being £3.99 in the UK, which is a little bit weird. But I could be wrong about that, so I apologise if I am. Um, It's really... uh, which is exce- exceptionally weird because Titan and Food and Planet are pretty much the same company. So, anyway, never mind. How, how deep does this go? Maybe how high up does this go? Is Cthulhu behind it, do you think? I think probably, yeah. yeah. Um, this is the story of uh, the... In the first issue, we were introduced to a man called Michael Fisher who lives... Uh, who's a, a a bad plumber and a bad ex-husband and a bad father um, and he lives in Queens, New York and he's kind of just useless Um, and then one day which I guess, well I say one day but it's basically the same day that we start watching him in his life, suddenly and for no apparent reason everybody in the world suddenly ends up with superpowers or or something weird about them if not superpowers they become this weird um, weird representation of what it is they do for example um uh, in this issue there are a bunch of scientists one of them now has a head that is a bunsen burner brilliant um and there's a a journalist whose head is uh like a, a tv journalist whose head is a, a a camera like a video camera very useful yeah, it's it's uh, it's kind of nuts. Basically, Michael Fisher appears to be the only person at this point who doesn't have any powers, and he realizes that his son is across town, uh, is across New York, and might be in trouble. He can't get hold of his ex-wife. He can't get hold of his son. He wants to get across town and help him, but he's the only guy who doesn't have any powers. Um, Everybody's still the same person, but obviously they are now people who have who are enabled by whatever ridiculous power they have. This issue also introduces the it, it, it expands out a little bit to show us how the president of the United States and the scientific community is dealing with this, and uh, and also the fact that this is happening everywhere on the planet, not just in New York. Um, the main reason I th- we're, we're kind of getting a window onto the scale and possible stakes of um, of this happening because the vice president suddenly finds himself in charge, and it seems like he was already pretty nuts before he had his superpowers. So he wants to knacker everyone else in the world as quickly as possible. Now that now that we're able to now, now that they're able to sort of thing, but uh, there's a scientist working for the government who wants to try and cure it and they think that if they can find someone who doesn't have this condition they might be able to work out a cure which I guess is how this is going to tie into Michael Fisher it's written this issue is slightly more ridiculous because some of the stuff happening in the White House is uh, played the first issue was already satirical but it had quite a sharp focus this issue, some of the stuff going on at the White House is very much played for satirical laughs. But Michael Fisher's plight trying to get across town is uh, played 
really well. It's actually played a lot less for laughs than it was in the first issue. The range and craziness of all of the powers that people have and all of the different manifestations of this weird thing that's happening um, gives Disraeli, who is already an amazing artist, but he's really, really good at crowd scenes and weirdness. And so not only does he perfectly capture all of the relevant story stuff and do an amazing job of um of portraying it and in a way that i don't think i don't think any other artist really could he also there are also loads of cameos i think he himself is in it at one point but there's a guy who the there's a guy who's definitely the cat in the hat at some point well i just i mean it'd be pointless me trying to point any of them out basically any crowd scene is definitely worth like pouring over once you've read it once to see to see who's in there what's interesting i mean and it just looks gorgeous the co- the color on it which i guess is disraeli as well is just absolutely stunning um he really is something else and rob williams does uh, a really great job of weaving this narrative together what's super interesting and a bit of a surprise is that Michael Fisher as a character is not as one note as he possibly could have been. It's not like suddenly he's this feckless wanker who doesn't have any powers and suddenly he he's not the he's not Tom Cruise's character in Roar of the Worlds who's suddenly finds he's stuck with his two kids in the middle of this disaster and has to deal with it and isn't very good at it and stuff like this. Uh, but somehow comes through and is still Tom Cruise in a big budget movie. Michael Fisher is still racked by self-doubt. His instinct is to go and help Josh, which is his son, but there's still very much this undertow to what he's doing, this emotional undertow to what he's doing, where he's he's doubting whether he can do it. He's also second-guessing why he wants to do it. He's not sure if suddenly, oh, so what, suddenly I'm a good guy or or who it is he's trying to impress, whether he really cares or do you know what I mean all of that Mm. stuff's still going he's a very three-dimensional character at the middle of this which um, considering how nonsensical the whole story is it's great (laughs) it's really really good I love it everyone should find it and buy it thank you Nick thank you James for your patience thank you what you probably won't realize is the amount of times I had to interrupt there to cough and I'm sure Nick's edited all of that out, uh, and probably this too. No, I'll leave that in because it makes me sound like I'm shit hot at editing. No, you, you did, but you did very well talking around that. That was well done, sir. I love you. Uh, did anything happen this week? No, not literally nothing. Nothing at all. No. Do you know? I don't think anything did. No. Um, DC did stuff. Did they? Mm. Did they do comics in a very nineties? style yeah I don't think any of the arguments I had on the internet this week were about comics no uh sort well, isn't it yeah, it's, um... oh I needed wow. did you bring the uh, did you bring the Spider-Mans with you oh wow <clears throat> this is really awkward now oh shit oh. Uh, we will get those prizes out mm. eventually uh listener but as you're not you know as it's entirely you know I mean, we're not doing you a favour by sending you these comics. You did enter a competition. We did enter into a contract. 
uh, but at the same time, I'm sure you're happy to wait a little bit longer while we get our shit together. Wow, I even made that sound ungracious and you awkward. Did. Thank you. We love you. Would you like to do your spotlight, James? I had to go to the library this weekend, and um, I thought I'd go a little more contemporary. So I've, I've been a little bit... So you went to a newer library? No, I went to the same library. But with my choice of books, I went a little more contemporary. Um, and for the first of those books, I thought I would review a book that I actually, about a year or two ago, thought about picking up and didn't. thought, well, it's a good good opportunity to read the first trade paperback of uh, Dynamite's Buck Rogers. The uh, creative team on this book is Scott Beatty. Uh, it's illustrated, it's written by Scott Beatty. It's illustrated by uh, Carlos Rafael. Carlos Lopez is the colourist. And hey, the letterer, Simon Boland. I'm going to say it because it's here. Mm-hmm. Um, but Rogers, if you're not familiar, uh, is the story of a man from the 20th or 21st century. Go on, watch it. Yeah. Sorry, go on. Um, who, who, uh, whilst uh, testing out a spaceship or similar, uh, finds himself in the 25th century. 25th? 25th century. So that's 40 years. At least 40 years from now. Blimey. Um, And obviously there's been various iterations over the years. There was the 30s adventure serial. There have been uh, cartoons and comic books. Uh, And, uh, of course, the... uh, Reasonably well-known series from the 1970s uh, featuring the Billion Dollar Man. Was it 70s or 80s? Save 80s. With Jill Garrard and uh, the lovely lady whose name I forget, biddy, who played biddy, biddy. Wilma Deering and Biddy 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 and biddy, biddy, biddy. Uh, Discus Face. Biddy 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 Biddy. biddy. Um, now Discus Face was Doctor Watts' nuts, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, and uh, and uh, then I think, I don't know, it seemed like there were loads and loads of episodes, but maybe there were only a couple of seasons, because it did that thing that... Yeah. it went into syndication, didn't the, it? The internet would have hated yeah. if it happened now, which is that, that suddenly, to try and do better, I guess maybe to get some of that Star Trek money, mm. most of it was set on this Earth in the future, Yeah, and um, so there were lots of Earth-based... Antics. Correct. I really like the spaceships in it. But then they, oh, they completely cool. changed, uh, shifted gears, and did a whole season where they were just on a big spaceship out in space. It was basically Red Dwarf, mm. but with, without the laughs. Or that Doctor Who with Bertie Bassett in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. like that. Um, it, it's uh, it's probably not. Uh, oh, we should do. We could totally. Uh, we should find out from our friend uh, Kiha mm. how well, how much money he's making off the Magnum podcast. Well, but it sounds they're already syndicated, so I imagine quite a lot of uh, money. And if he's making lots of money, we should see if we can't glom onto that by doing a Buck Rogers. I would love to glom on Kiha. Uh, my uh, my abiding memories of it, though, I loved that show, but I also remember that uh, I used to watch the, the Buck Rogers. And Flash Gordon, mm. I think they used to be on BBC Two. They were the nineteen and the Rocketeer. Yeah, were they the nineteen forties, nineteen thirties, nineteen forties serials? But Buck, Buck Rogers and um, Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon mm. both starred Buster Crab as the yeah. main character, and pretty much used nearly all of the same sets and 
and special my, effects. My favourite well. was the Rocket. Was it Rocketeer or the Rocket Man? That was my favourite. King of the Rocket. King of the Rocket Man. And he had those awesome dials to control his rocket and stuff. Oh man, he was cool. That was my absolute favourite. I used to love that. It's I basically Iron Man, enough. wasn't it? Yeah, kinda. Stephen uh, Stephen King has an anecdote about stories and uh, cheating. Okay. Cheating on cliffhangers that I think is related to King of the Rocket Men, but I won't go into it now because I've already disrupted you too much. So the story about Rogers is about Butt Rogers. Uh, he's... It's basically Farscape. What, Butt Rogers? Kinda. He's an astronaut, isn't he? Do you mean Farscape was basically Butt Rogers? Yeah. So he's an astronaut. Um, in this particular iteration, um, and this kind of brings Buck Rogers up to date, it's a more contemporary, if you like, take on Buck Rogers. And he's testing out uh, an experimental aircraft that has a, uh, a gravity... Um, now, let's see. What's it called? Let's flick through the pages and see what it's called. Gravity Drive. What a stupid boy I am. Be careful with that. What? That comic. Gravity drives. It's worth millions, remember? It is worth millions, yeah. There's already a page hanging out. It's quite distressing. Um, and in testing the gravity drive, there's some jeopardy out on the, at the edge of our solar system that Buck is co-opted by the US um, Air Force, US military. He's kind of co-opted to take this, this experimental aircraft that he's been testing out to the edge of our solar system. Um, he tries to get there, but the gravity drive works a little bit too well, he finds himself crashing into what looks like a post-apocalyptic Earth, um, where he is rescued by this um, mysterious woman in this odd day-glow suit. The, the design here in the future is really awesome. The uh, the suits are, are completely black, apart from these sort of neon stripes that that cross the sort of chest area, run down the arms and stuff. Look very cool. It's not clear in, in entirely how. How they're powered? They have um, anti-grav small. They have discs about the size of frisbees on their backs that seem to have uh, power anti-gravity um, jets or whatever on Do their back. It's all it's all very cool, and it's 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 look at this tech. It's very cool, but don't worry about it too much. Do they at any point take the? Uh, day glow frisbees off their backs and throw them at each other it in a is, sport. It is not Tron. Because it looks a bit like Tron. It's not Tron. It has, it has definitely seems to take some design cues from Tron, yeah. I'd suggest. And actually the first, um, obviously there's Wilma Deering, who he meets in the future, and and Deering of the past. Um, and there's, uh, you see um, you see some, some of Buck's backstory. And, and there's a little bit, there's some overtures of a relationship that, that was with Deering of the past and some echoes with Deering of the future as well. That it's plays out, isn't it? Just mm. amazing. Um, it's a bit like the uh, McFly song about um, going to the future and saying that uh, apparently the uh, the person they're, they're singing the song to, the, their great 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 granddaughter's pretty hot. So is, uh, is that I crash the wedding? Well, I don't know. Or Thunderbirds, I'll go. Um, I think it's um, Butt Rogers' uh, cider lemon. Okay. So. There's all this going on. And actually, I read most of the first issue of this, and it kind of played the story quite straight. Buck is exactly what you'd expect. He's a sort of uh, happy-go-lucky kind of, you know, uh, all-American hero. He's, he's uh, you know, he's got the right stuff. And then the first issue ends with some jeopardy, and um, it's a uh, a bear covered in tech with a weapon. 
And and from the the end of the first story, it kind of goes potty. It seems like the jeopardy in this this weird post-apocalyptic Earth is essentially what had happened is uh, on Mars they'd uh, got some DNA sets of all of the different creatures that existed on the planet. Uh, these DNA strands were put into a rocket and created sort of like a DNA version of Noah's Ark, was shot into space. And basically that's what Buck was going to intercept to stop them getting shot into space. Now, going to 400 years into the future, it seems like someone has got hold of this DNA and created a menagerie of these um, augmented humans and animals. animals. That's nuts. So Buck finds himself uh, on board their... Um, ship, which is stationed, I think, just outside. No, Phobos. So that's, um, yeah, that's Mars, isn't it? Near Mars. And uh, basically him and Wilma Deering have to find a way to make it off of this ship, which leads them into various exciting um, adventures. It's very much think think Luke, Han, Chewie and Leia on the, on the Death Star, only more so. Um, and there's lots of really nice sort of old school um, references. They they find themselves in. We were talking about the the Rocket Man, King of the Rocket Men, earlier. They they find themselves in some very sort of kitsch, old style looking rocket packs and so forth. There's a, a lovely storyline with Lupin, the, the wolf, the wolf assassin that comes after them. That's really good fun. But as you would expect, there's uh, the character development occurs mostly in flashback for Butt Rogers. Mm. Um, but otherwise, it's pretty much unrelenting, non-stop action. Um, the, 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 it really surprised me because had I read this at the time, I'm not sure if the first issue might not have left me a little bit cold. Yeah. Once you get to that page turn and there's the augmented bear, the, the pace is really high. Um, the writing... Um, is um, it's never uncomfortably expositional. It works really well. Um, the device of shifting back to look at look at Buck's backstory um, also sort of uh, eases off the pace because when you're actually in the 25th century, it is unrelenting. It, mm-hmm. It's jeopardy. It's peril. It's it's all the good stuff that I think you kind of remember from those 1930s um, adventure serials, and definitely takes more of its storytelling cues from the 30s than it does. Um, the more recent um, Butt Rogers that, that most of us remember from our childhood, if they're old farts like we are. Yeah. It was a really pleasant surprise. I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about it necessarily. thought I might think it was a bit of kitsch fun. But I really, really enjoyed it. It was uh, very, um, yeah, very well written, very very nicely realised art as well. It's, it's you know... Um, it, the the style is fits the story very well. It was very clean. The lines are very clean. It's um, uh, coloured in a very sort of flat, coloured and inked in quite a sort of flat style. But actually, because there's so much going on, it's set in space. It actually makes it easier to pass the action yeah. and what's going on. Um, it is a highly enjoyable book and probably well worth um, uh, what is it fourteen sixteen dollars ninety nine or less of your of your money. Um, I can recommend cool it does look really pretty i remember the covers were really great for it i was just thinking about thinking about it how uh most characters that have endured for as long as uh buck rogers and i Mm. guess flash gordon as well they've got a very there's a visual motif yeah that's there's a visual motif that's uh tied 
into them. Mm. So, I mean, I guess the more recent versions of Sherlock don't really include mm. this, but when you when you have Sherlock set adaptations of Sherlock mm. Holmes set when the when the stories were mm. originally set, you expect the deer stalker. You expect him to have mm. the pointy nose and the uh, uh, opium addiction. Opium addiction. <laughs> And a pipe, yeah. and and things like that. You did. Uh, I'm going back really far, but things like Jack the Ripper and stuff like anything that endures. There's normally a visual motif with it. But uh, Buck Rogers and um, and Flash Gordon a little bit. But I think I kind of expect him to look blonde and all American and stuff. But Whereas Buck Rogers is all sci-fi. Yeah. But there's a very pulpy sensibility to it. Oh, absolutely. So the rocket packs and stuff like that aren't a thing we really have that much of in they're, our they're stories both, now. They, they both have a very much a matinee serial sort mm. of sensibility to them. Obviously, both are um, alpha males, um, fish out of water stories. Yeah. You know, sort of, uh, you know, these sort of brave men put into extraordinary situations. But Buck Rogers, literally, they could draw him. They, they It looks like it's a really pretty looking book. And it looks like they really went to town with. They were like, "Well, we don't have to." Oh, the design is wonderful. Yeah. We wonderful. have we have to fit a tone. Yeah. But but even with Flash Gordon, you've got to get Ming looking a certain way. Yeah. But Flash Gordon himself, you've, there's a lot of wiggle room. I I actually think I I think with Flash Gordon it's almost difficult because I think the, I think for many of us the films become the films really should, definitive. Yeah. Whereas Buck Rogers, it's hard to say. Well, what is the definitive Buck Rogers? The TV series wasn't really. It's it's nostalgic for those of us who were there, but it's kind of. It is, a bit but silly. it doesn't seem to be. It doesn't seem. It's not something that people go on about at length. You know, probably um, the the uh, five hundred billion five hundred billion man is probably more popular. Mm. Um, you know, it's five, the five hundred billion dollar man. Yeah, or the unknown stunt man's that sort of thing. You know, that was Lee Majors, right? Yeah. Not Gil Gerard. Not Gil Gerard. They look the same, though, don't they? Well, I mean, they did back then. Yeah. I think Gil Gerard now looks a bit puffy. Really? Yeah. Whereas I imagine Lee I think Majors has not aged at all. Yeah, maybe. It's, I'm, I get confused. Yeah. Uh, porn daddy. Probably. Um, thank you, James. I that was a bit out of left field. I wasn't expecting that. But the next three will all be slightly more contemporary. Oh. Including something to remind me to talk to you about off air in a moment. Okay, well, we'll be walking in the rain in a minute. So Wicked. Last night I saw you walking in the rain. Don't la, know the rest la, of that la, song. Sexy times. Um, what are you doing this week? What you got planned? In a minute we're going to have a conversation about some of your comics, but anything else? Um, I'm going to enjoy a fate in the uh, New Forest in the rain. Is it a fate or a hipster fair? Uh, no, it's definitely a fate. It's My, a proper old-fashioned country fate done by the local community, all of which are either old or middle-class families, not beardy Dalmatian-owning hipsters. I had a bit of trouble at the hipster fair I went to. It said, when we went past it, it said Farmer's Market, but then we drove past it in the morning on the way to Ikea, it said Farmer's Market. When we turned up there, it was very much more of a hipster fair thing. Do you know, I got really paranoid because you were talking to the um, the excellent uh, UK comic book writer Kieran Gillen and I was feeling a bit giddy during that conversation you were talking about it and I dove right in and called you out um, saying it was a hipster a hipster fair neither of you said anything to me oh sorry and um, it left me feeling really because obviously I don't talk to Kieran Gillen um, so it left me feeling really uncomfortable 
um, I kind of felt like um, I'd put my dick out in the wind and you two, you sort of clicked your teeth at it and went, do you want to go back to our yurt and have some uh, soy milk? I and left me to it. I thought I had a conversation with you about something else later on, but I never know. There are lots of people who I talk to. No, you to. just favorited a self-deprecating tweet I made and then sort of Is that what I did? Yeah. There are lots of um there are lots of conversations I have with people where I I am over familiar with them. And you know, there are people who I know have a much yeah. busier online pro I wouldn't yeah. say they're better people than you or I, but they are certainly oh, Kieran be- Gillen, I is a are, better person. They are than certainly you or I. they are certainly better known and um and like you know, in his case obviously a better person, um, even though he was a video game journalist at, at one point. So and, with Charlie Brooker. Yeah, that's true. Or Charlie that's Brooks. True. No, Charlie Brooker, I think was Which one's the one that isn't really a criminal? Uh, Rebecca Brooks. All oh, right. Yeah. No. Oh, I don't know. I'm really confused. She is really a criminal, isn't she? I don't Allegedly know. not. It's very confusing. Um, yeah, but I. Yeah, I never know. I, I, I'm always surprised when people respond to me. So yeah. when a conversation tails off like that, I, I try not to let it get to me. But of course, deep down, it, it does. Um, yeah, but you. I mean, you called it. It was a completely hipster thing, and and I had that moment while I was there where I thought, I bet most of the beards. There were lots of beards there, and I was thinking, mm. I'm looking at the way these people are dressed and how much work they've put into being scruffy, mm. because they don't really look scruffy. They just it's you know studied, they're isn't wearing. It? Yeah. yeah, and I was thinking, you know, I don't mind. They just care more about that stuff. I don't. Yeah. I'm not going to criticize them for it any more than I'd criticize someone being in a suit. I would criticize someone in a suit, but like, but I'd be wrong too. And um, and so I was looking at them, thinking, you know, I bet he hasn't got a beard because he hates shaving. <laughs> Which is which I think is the best reason to have a beard because that's why I've got a beard. It's because I don't like shaving. And I was thinking, there are lots of beards around. Does this mean I'm in fashion now? No, I uh, I no longer have a beard uh, because I found uh, a razor that has reasonably priced consumables. Okay, I just don't really like shaving very much and haven't no, done for it. a really long. Well, I haven't ever done. No. But um, so Shanks, I bet you're really good at it. I'm really. I bet when you try, you're really good at it. You can do anything you put your mind to, Nick. I think you know you can. I couldn't really grow facial hair for the first 25 years of my life, so oh, okay. I, I, I didn't learn to shave at the time when everyone else learned. I every other man that. learns to shave, so it was kind of a well. Um, but um, yeah, I, I feel like it's nice that I have a beard at the same time mm. as lots of people who are clearly cooler than me have beards. Yeah. But I'm already aware that what that means is that in a few years when beards aren't cool anymore, yeah. I'm going to look out of date rather yeah. than just like a guy who always has a beard. And it and that annoys me because it's like, what, so I've got to deal with being out of fashion? I am really looking forward to the next fashion is definitely going to be clean shaven and looking middle-aged. So oh, excellent. You should I be am okay really then. looking forward to that. My favourite thing about your uh, whole hair mm. deal your whole hair thing yeah. is I don't understand this white patch here. Uh, when I was 17, I have a white patch in my sideburns on the uh, left-hand side of my face. Uh, when I was 17, I went swimming in the French river, the Dordogne. Uh, Dordogne. Dordogne. And um, I picked up uh, during that holiday a fungal infection. Oh, my goodness. Uh, which stripped the pigment away from that particular area of my face. The reason it all grows in white there is I have no pigment there at all. If you look at the skin, 
no pigment. Just there. It's actually, ironically, um, if you look at it, if I shaved off the sideburn, if you look at it, it's actually, um, the shape is an arrow pointing at my mouth. How does that even... Well, that's a conversation for another time. We're running out of time now. I have a... We the, ran out of it about half an hour ago. My uh, uh, I, my chest hair, mm. uh, it, it takes the form of an arrow pointing down. It's very weird. It just grows it grows that way. The uh, hair around my arse says, Oh, hello, sailor in town long. <laughs> really? Because I've got a birthmark on my penis. I know. Um... Shit, I actually do have a birth... No, okay, right. So, uh, thank you, listener. I've got a mole on my testicles. Uh, Thank you, listener. Uh, You should ask that mole to leave. They've got horrible, scary claws. When I was... I promise this is really quick. When I was 13, I went on a school trip with the the school, skiing, uh, and uh, me and mum were filling in the the form you had to fill in, and it said, any swinging marks. And I said to my mum, I've got a mole on my balls. She just looked at me... (laughs) I can't imagine why. What were you expecting? I'm like, well, what if I was to die in an avalanche and all I found was my balls? I'd want them to know it was me. <laughs> all we found is the balls, but you see, a mole, it was probably that fat little shit, James, were or Ames. Were you in uh, Belgium? Uh, we were in the Alps in France. Okay. Um, France, Europe. Listener... You have been more patient even than you normally are. I think we did some nice reviews in the middle of all that nonsense. I think, didn't we? I was pretty excited that Wankula came back. I'm sorry I missed him. You missed him. I'm going to kill him. Uh, I I, I think uh, the security guards aren't going to be that happy when they realise that it wasn't actually the original Buck Rogers comic. Yeah, no, it's just it's the one from the library covered in plastic. That the page has fallen out of. Yeah, it's it's not really been that well looked after. (laughs) And uh, I, I guess it, it remains for us to leave. Say goodbye and then leave. Should we leave? Let's do it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.